Good evening, everybody. I'm Mike Ferguson, and I handle the communications for the Show Me Institute. Thank you so much for being a part of the 2017 Legislative Recap Telephone Town Hall. Now, obviously, we witnessed an eventful legislative session, to say the least, and tonight we are going to update you on what it all means for our state moving forward. Now, during this evening's town hall, we will be hearing from our policy experts, and I hope you will participate by asking questions and by answering our survey questions. Now, this is an interactive call, and so we're going to include as many of, of your questions as we possibly can, at least as time allows, and we will be respectful of your time. So what you do is you press star at any time during this call, and that will put you in the queue to ask a question. So let's get started. I'd like to introduce our guest speakers and our panelists, Brenda Talent, of course, the CEO of the Show Me Institute, Patrick Ishmael, he is the Director of Government Accountability. Michael Q. McShane, Dr. McShane is the Director of Education Policy. Patrick Tuey is our Western Missouri Field Manager. So some good things have happened at the Capitol this session, and that includes some policy victories, and it includes some ideas and reforms that we want to see happen that didn't quite get signed into law, but they have moved closer to that proverbial finish line. So to start off our conversation, I'd like to hand things over to Show Me Institute CEO, Brenda Talent. Brenda? Thank you, Mike. And thank you for joining us, everyone. As most of you know, the Show Me Institute is the only free market think tank in Missouri. Our mission is advancing liberty with responsibility by promoting market solutions for Missouri public policy. Well, in early January this year, we issued a blueprint for moving Missouri forward, and I'm happy to report that the blueprint was very well received, and in this legislative session, we saw progress on several fronts. Right to work passed early in the session. Project labor agreements, which Patrick will talk more about, have, have been eliminated. A bill harmonizing minimum wage across the state was passed the last day of the session. And finally, Missouri has reformed its laws relating to Uber and Lyft. Of course, there are important bills related to education, labor, and tax policy that didn't cross the finish line. But nonetheless, the policies we've researched and discussed in these areas are gaining traction and are openly supported by the governor. So we're optimistic that these policies will help Missouri grow and that we're winning the public debate. We're certainly more invigorated than ever to continue to press what our research and experience show to be true. And while I'm talking about policies and research on this call, we at the Show Me Institute never forget that what we're really about is helping people, helping to give them real opportunity to flourish and prosper. We're not engaged in a theoretical exercise. The laws and regulations of our state and localities directly impact the lives of people and all too often negatively. But we can counter that, and I'm proud to say that's what the staff at Show Me has been doing, and they're going to talk a little bit more about that. Mike? All right. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Brenda Talent, CEO of the Show Me Institute. Now, if you are just joining us at any point during this phone call, if you want to ask a question of our policy experts, uh, simply press the star key, and that will put you into a queue to get your question included as part of this phone call. Now, the right to work issue in particular, that was a game changer when it comes to Missouri public policy, and it may not be over yet. That is something that could very well uh, be the subject of a ballot initiative, uh, and we will, of course, continue our research. We are based on facts. 
facts here when it comes to our public policy. All right, uh, next, let's go ahead and talk about uh, some more public policy regarding labor and business and government union reform. Uh, Patrick Ishmael uh, joining us now. He is going to provide an overview of the debate and the issue of prevailing wage and of government union reform. Patrick? Hey, Mike. Hey, and thanks, everyone, for coming tonight. We know you have uh, a lot of things you could be doing right now, and the fact that you're spending this time with us uh, really means a lot to us. Uh, like Brenda was saying, there was a lot of stuff that happened this year, um, and, and particularly at the end. But early on, right to work did get passed, so that's a real positive uh, step. But we also saw another labor reform uh, called Project Labor Agreement Reform uh, that really is going to advance taxpayer interests as well. And what Project Labor Agreements do is they restrict who can and cannot participate in public projects. And the effect of that is it, it, it is to benefit unions. The, the way that those contracts are laid out, it makes it very difficult for non-union contractors to participate. And because they can't participate, the cost of those pro projects tends to rise. If you look across the country, you're looking at 15 to 20% increases in the cost of the average project. Uh, there are about 23 states that have moved away completely from project labor agreements. And I'm, I'm thankful that we can say that PLAs are uh, on their way out here in the state as well. Um, kind of like project labor agreements, but not past this legislative session, is prevailing wage laws. And prevailing wage laws are kind of a version of the minimum wage. But the way that it's calculated is by looking at union wages uh, and, and those wages that are reported for specific jobs. Um, the, the effect of that, though, and the way that the reporting structure uh, kind of is, is pursued uh, is that it raises the cost of projects as well. Uh, and, and the problem is that you have non-union contractors who are not able to basically submit a best bid or a lower bid than what the unions would be offering, and that impacts taxpayers. So, for instance, if you had five projects that you wanted to get done, but each project costs 20 to 25% more than what it ought to if you were letting market wages dictate, um, you would probably only be able to do about four out of those five projects. And particularly in small communities, rural communities across the state, the prevailing wage has a negative impact on local em employment because a lot of projects that could get done with local labor can't get done because the wages are inflated for what those projects would otherwise command. Um, so we're looking forward to seeing prevailing wage uh, engaged in the near future, hopefully uh, by 2018, um, because that's something that will impact a lot of Missourians, particularly in rural areas. But another area of labor reform, and that was one of the big topics this year, we, we, we of course hoped it would be a larger topic that these things would have been done earlier, but uh, government union reform. In fact, government union reform uh, almost made it to the finish line this year. And when I talk about government union reform, what I'm talking about is transparency in the negotiation for contracts, uh, making sure that uh, the unions, the union bosses are in fact representing the interests of uh, those members of, of unions, whether you're talking about teachers unions or whether you're talking about state employee unions. Um, these are issues that are very important not only to the workers themselves, but also to taxpayers as well. Um, this is about good governance. This is about making sure that taxpayers are getting the maximum amount of money uh, a benefit from the money that they are uh, being forced to give up every year through taxation. Um, and these are important issues that I hope are going to be engaged uh, very deliberately and comprehensively next year uh, because they do impact uh, individuals. But again, we, we saw two major items uh, cross finish line this year, right to work, which may come up in the future like Mike uh, was, was alluding to. But project labor agreements was a, a, a big win for free marketeers and for 
uh, local governments who uh, may otherwise uh, have a, a more difficult time in, in actually effectuating uh, projects that uh, their local citizens need, but to date uh, the cost of the projects has been too high. All right, thank you. That's Patrick Ishmael. Uh, and uh, Patrick, just uh, one quick question on this. When you talk about project labor agreements, we are talking about uh, public projects. We're not talking about every bit of private construction, correct? That, that's exactly right, particularly at the local level, local government. Okay, now we're going to go ahead and start our first poll. And so if uh, you are uh, online or, of course, you've got the options as well, the following poll is now open. And the question is this. How familiar are you with the state's prevailing wage laws and their impact on public construction projects? Dial 1 if you're very familiar, 2 somewhat familiar, or 3 if you are unfamiliar. Once again, that poll is open right now. How familiar are you with the state's prevailing wage laws and their impact on public construction process uh, projects? Excuse me. All right, now once again, you can press star at any time to be put in the queue. Uh, when it comes to asking questions, and let's go ahead and uh, get started. We've got Mary on the line, and she is from Liberty. Liberty uh, and Mary, you are now uh, live on the call. Thank you for calling in. Okay. Well, um, we had a lot of legislation left on the table. Prevailing wage was one of them. Um, uh, public sector uh, recertification was another, and others, and... Um, Unfortunately, I mean, uh, we've been waiting to pass conservative reforms for a lot of years. We have a great opportunity now, and there are some in the Senate that don't care so much about passing conservative legislation that, that brings opportunity for Missourians, because that's what it is at the end of the day, bringing jobs to the state and doing what's best for Missourians. And I don't know what can be done about that, but I'm frankly enraged by it because we could have gotten a lot more done. And I just would love to hear if anybody has any solutions or if anyone can comment on it. All right. Hey, Mary, appreciate the uh, phone call. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, we have to think of the end of this legislation, legislative session as halftime. I mean, we're elected, especially in the House, we elect a legislature for terms, two years. Uh, right now we are in the middle of this session. So, uh, Patrick uh, or Brenda, if you wanted to jump in and just respond to Mary's uh, phone call, because there were some things, to her point, that uh, did get discussed but just didn't make it and we're not having the improvements that we wanted to see at least just yet. Well, since Patrick wrote about this issue, I'm going to let him take it because I don't want to steal his thunder. <laughs> I appreciate it, Brenda. Well, so to, to make another sports analogy, I view this, at least in, in terms of the way that we look at it at the Show Me Institute, as kind of the first inning of a, of a longer baseball game. And, you know, when we started off this session, I think that we thought that the fences were a little bit closer to home plate, um, but the, the, the dimensions of the park changed. And so uh, we wanted to see, you know, all this stuff get done in one year. But at the end of the day, um, I think that this was still a, a, a session that took us in the right direction. We scored some runs in, in Kansas City. Um, they, and, and across Major League Baseball, fans have heard of this term called um, uh, keeping the line moving. And it's this idea where if you can keep hitting singles and keep hitting doubles, you can still put together the sorts of run support that you need to win. 
Uh, he just may not hit as many home runs uh, if you got a big ballpark, for instance, like Kansas City does. And so I think it's fair for us to expect home runs, particularly given the fact that you have a conservative in the governor's office and you have uh, super conservative supermajorities in the House and the Senate. Um, so that expectation, I think, is fair. But at the end of the day, there we do have a couple more opportunities to push the ball further down the uh, push the ball to make the metaphor push the ball further down the field, or at least score some more runs in the next few innings. And and from our perspective, we want this stuff sooner rather than later because it'll help Missourians. But um, we're also mindful that we're not here for the short term; we're here for the long term. We'll be here pushing for these policy uh, prescriptions for 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 the for for not only today but for many years to come as well. Well, and I would just add very quickly that what it reminds all of us is that we can't take anything for granted. We need to consistently and constantly make the case for why policies that that we're we're pushing, that we're promoting, will in fact make a difference in people's lives. And so we can't just assume that certain things are going to be done. We We need to be active in that process. Okay, that was uh, Brenda Talent, the CEO of the Show Me Institute, and Patrick Ishmael, Director of Government Accountability, if you are just joining us. Remember, you can ask a question and contribute to this conversation anytime. Press star, and that puts you into a queue to get your question asked. Okay, the prevailing wage law poll that we just conducted, I think it's very interesting. What we have right now is maybe part of the reason that some of these things take so long uh, 26% of those who just uh, answered the poll are very familiar with pub, uh, with a project or excuse me prevailing wage laws in the state. Almost half of you, 46%, are somewhat familiar, and 29% are unfamiliar with those laws. And that's actually, uh, in all likelihood, a higher level of education and understanding of a very complex issue. Uh, so that's also one of the aspects of a process is that. A role like the Show Me Institute, a lot of education goes into it, a lot of uh, public awareness, a lot of media work to uh, make people understand why these issues matter. We will have more polls uh, throughout the duration of this phone call. Once again, press star to ask questions on uh, these issues right here. Let's go ahead and move to another uh, topic that uh, is what I like to call in the office part of our wheelhouse, something that we're just very strong on and something that uh, lawmakers and the governor listen to us uh, listen to us very, very closely, and that has to do with education. Now, Dr. Mike McShane, of course, his latest writing is in U.S. News & World Report, just published yesterday, and he is kind of the go-to expert ju- both around the state and on many national media outlets as well when it comes to education policy, particularly uh, education choice, and he's here now to give us an overview of the education policy in Missouri, in, in Missouri right now as it stands. Dr. McShane? Good evening, everybody. It's great to be here with you. Um, You know, the big story that came out of the legislative session was that for the first time since the funding formula was rewritten, um, it was fully funded this year. And now I am sort of of two minds when we think about fully funding the foundation formula. You know, on one level, I think that we often place too much uh, value on the specific number that the funding formula kicks out. We got to remember the funding formula wasn't handed down on stone tablets from some mountaintop. It was a creation of the political process. The numbers that it eventually came up with had to deal with some horse trading to actually get you know sort of how it's how it was figured out. 
So I think oftentimes we, we expend a lot of energy if we're a little bit under the form, funding formula number, if we're over the funding formula number. I don't think we're going to see a strong correlation, small, small deviations from what that number says, with ultimately the thing that we care about, how well students perform. But on another level, um, I do think that we are a state and nation of laws, and if we pass a law that the, the school should be funded according to a particular formula, we should do our level best to fund schools at that level. It allows schools and districts to prepare each year, to budget, to have a plan. Um, and so on that, on, in that respect, I think it's a good thing that we fully fund the formula. And if we don't like the fun, funding formula or we don't think we're able to fund it at the level that we say that it should, then it's incumbent upon legislators to change it. Now, unfortunately, a lot of the story from this legislative session is sort of the dog that didn't bark. There was a great deal of momentum around several education reform issues. In fact, they're the issues that we laid out before the session even started, promoting greater school choice, both within the traditional public school system, in the public charter system, as well as in uh, amongst private options via things like education savings accounts. Um, and while we definitely saw a great deal of momentum, and in many cases we saw these bills advance farther than they had before, we weren't able to see them get across the finish line. Um, course access, the course access program very easily passed the House. All the hearings that it had uh, in the multiple iterations, both Senate uh, bills that related to it, House bills that related to it, wide bipartisan support. In fact, it was one of the first times I've ever been to a hearing where I didn't hear anyone testify in opposition. But unfortunately, I think part of the story was that uh, education reform was not as high on the priority list this year. You know, sort of speaking to Mary's call that, that, uh, that came in, you know, there was a lot of stuff that folks were trying to get done, whether it was on the labor reform front, the government union front, um, tort reform, regulatory reform. And unfortunately, uh, you know, education just didn't rise up to a point. We saw charter school, uh, charter school expansion bill pass the House. We saw an ESA bill pass the Senate. But it just didn't quite get across the finish line. So I know it's something that here at the Show Me Institute, we're going to continue doing our work trying to educate people in the state about the very real needs, not just in our urban areas, but in our suburban areas as well as in our rural areas, to try and really educate folks about the options that are out there, really cool, interesting things that other states are doing that we can learn from and bring here to Missouri, um, and just the opportunities that, that are available to folks. So we are going to continue fighting the good fight. Yes, as Mike said, you know, it's just halftime or maybe as Patrick said, it's the second inning or seventh inning stretch or whichever metaphor you want to use. But we're going to continue educating, speaking, and working, trying to make changes in our education system. Okay, uh, uh, Mike, uh, we have a question that's come in online from Ryan in Lee Summit. And the question reads, how does fully funding the formula impact next year's budget, especially with early childhood funding trigger by fully funding the formula? And Ryan, thank you very much for that uh, question. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. I think a lot of that remains to be seen. You know, part of our understanding of 
how the because this is the first time the formula has been fully funded, I was actually listening into the State Board of Education meeting yesterday. And I think members of the State Board of Education were were thinking through exactly what all of these implications might be. So one is to get the accurate student count to understand exactly how many people are supposed to be funded, to do the calculations uh, that are determine the adequacy target. And then as you mentioned, there are these interesting triggers that were built in. One is expanding early childhood education, um, that once the, full, the funding formula is fully funded, that uh, sort of opens up new pots of money. There were some moves during the legislative session to try and phase, the, phase that in over a period of several years, but we actually uh, didn't see that happen. So I think folks just now are starting to make those projections and understanding uh, what the implications would be. So I think we've probably got another few weeks or a few months before we fully understand what those new obligations look like. Okay, that's uh, Dr. Mike McShane, our Director of Education Policy here at the Show Me Institute. Uh, you can ask questions on public policy matters by pressing star on your phone. And let's go ahead before we get to the next question, which is from Richard. Richard, hang on just one second. Speaking of education, our next poll is now open as of right now and it's a very simple question having school choice is how important to you press one for very important two for somewhat important or three not important okay let's go ahead and go to the questions here and this is richard and richard is calling us from baldwin richard you are on the call live thank you for calling uh yes i just pressed the button so you call on me from baldwin am yes, i sir. on right now Yes, you okay. are, sir. Uh, my question is: uh, is why was there no mention of SCR four, which is the uh, resolution to uh, for a constitutional convention? Uh, are you talking about the constitutional decide... convention or, or the uh, or the uh, the convention of the states? Well, it is a constitutional convention, but it is a con convention of the states, right? Convention it's of the states. Convention of the states in accordance with the Constitution, yeah. Yeah, okay, um, and, and that one, appreciate the uh, phone call. Actually, I'm going to pitch that to Patrick Ishmael, who has been uh, writing on that. Richard, thank you so much for the uh, phone call. Patrick? Yeah, thank you, Richard, for the question. Yeah, we're very much in support of taking a hard look at what the federal government is doing, and frankly, it's doing too much. And the fact that the state of Missouri was able to become the 12th state uh, to join, I believe, the Convention of States movement, I think was a, a great uh, accomplishment for the session. We we haven't really talked about it at length on this call, but it's something that we have talked about on the blog, and it is certainly something that that I support, and many of the folks at the Show Me Institute also support. Because at the end of the day, I mean, there are only so many ways you can hold the federal government accountable, and one way is through a constitutional uh, pathway. And this constitutional pathway is an important one, and it's good to see that the the state took the opportunity this year uh, to go ahead and join that group of states. Now. Well, you know, we're only about a third of the way there in terms of the number of states that have to actually call for it. At least 34 states have to call for it. Uh, so we're at 12 right now. But there are a lot of states who are uh, still debating those resolutions, and I think we'll probably get uh, several more at least this year uh, that are going to join that movement. And that's, quite frankly, that's to the betterment and to, uh, to the benefit uh, of our uh, republic. Okay, uh, and if you want to read Patrick's writing on that, go to Show Me Institute, 
uh, .org. Actually, he just recently did have a, a blog post on that, so you can read our work that uh, has been done on that. Once again, my name is Mike Ferguson. I'm the Director of Communications for Show Me Opportunity, which handles communications for the Show Me Institute. And you can participate in this phone call anytime by pressing star, which will get you into a queue for uh, those questions. We're going to have the poll question open on education choice for just another couple of minutes. Uh, press 1 if ed having education choice in Missouri is very important to you. Press 2 if it is somewhat important to you. Or 3 if it is not important to you. All right, let's look at uh, something that affects many of the local governments uh, quite a bit more. And we had uh, a really kind of exciting uh, thing happen recently when State Auditor Nicole Galloway worked with us for one of our Show Me Now videos, which you can see on our website as well. But she's bringing attention to one of those issues that doesn't always get a lot of media attention but it is really important because it affects everybody, and that has to do with transportation development districts. And that's among the things that we will have Patrick Tuey, our Western District Manager, address now. Patrick? Uh, good evening, everybody. Again, thank you for joining us. I don't think I will have any sports analogies uh, in, my, uh, in my piece. Uh, but it is very uh, heartening, this session, although we didn't talk a lot about tax reform. <clears throat> Uh, a, a Democrat from the Kansas City area, uh, Brendan Ellington, introduced a bill to reform tax increment financing. We have heard from uh, Republican legislators interested both in, uh, in TIF reform and tax subsidies and also in transportation development districts like Mike spoke of and community improvement districts. And I think uh, the auditor's call for reform uh, will be a big boost. Uh, so, so given the interest and, and given the activists on both the left and the right in Kansas City and St. Louis, and I think people around the state beginning to understand uh, what's at stake when we divert money that should be going to basic government services, such as schools and libraries and roads, uh, diverting that money to developers who, according to research around the country, um, don't really need it and, and frankly would develop without these subsidies. Uh, if only municipalities said no when they came asking. So I am, uh, you know, we're, we've been conducting research on TIF. We will continue to do that this year. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with TIF, tax increment financing, we've written a great deal about it at the Show Me Institute uh, uh, in the years I've been there and the years before. Uh, but the gist of it is that it sounds like a great policy. Uh, cities. Uh, want to work with developers to build in parts of town that have been economically neglected for years. Um, but in practice, what they end up doing is just diverting taxpayer dollars to crony capitalists who end up building in the economically successful parts of town. I think the most stark example is here in Kansas City, we are subsidizing high-rise luxury apartments in a school district where 90% of the children are on free and reduced lunch. So it's a great opportunity uh, to spread the free market message and to work with people who are on the left uh, who on this issue uh, walk with us lockstep. And given, again, the interest in the legislature from both Republicans and Democrats, I am optimistic that it is something we can uh, uh, work with them on in the next session. Patrick, a lot of these special taxing districts are things we don't notice because we pay for them through our sales taxes in a lot of cases. How, how much of an impact do you think it is that the state auditor uh, decided to work with us for one of our videos and has actually been 
kind of connecting with us on social media to draw attention to this particular part of public policy? So, uh, you know, politically, I suspect it's it's a very good sign. The auditor is a Democrat, uh, and uh, I think just the nature of the auditor's role, frankly, regardless of partisanship, is to look into these types of things and, and uh, draw people's attention to uh, misuse or potential for misuse. And, uh, and what the auditor found is, is um, what the Show Me Institute has found an awful lot, which is uh, municipalities that are opaque, that drag their feet when you ask them for information that should be public, or, uh, as happened with us on this side of the state, uh, ask for incredibly high amounts of money uh, to provide records that, that uh, frankly, should be just a, a couple of button clicks. So uh, I, think, I think politically it's a plus, but, but really what I think is driving this is that uh, when you have uh, cities and the state where money is tight and taxpayers find out that there is, um, you know, some... Uh, a development profiteering going on that is again directing money away from basic city services. People uh, people want to call a timeout and make sure that uh, cities are cutting the grass and fixing the streets before they are building high-rise apartment buildings. All right, Patrick Ishmael, the Western District Field Manager. Uh, my name, if you're just joining us once again, is Mike Ferguson, and I handle the communications here. Be sure that you are checking the Show Me Institute's website, showmeinstitute.org, and especially our Twitter account, at Show Me, and you can look us up on Facebook as well. Okay, the results of the school choice poll are in, and it is overwhelming, actually. 83% of you who participated said that having school choice in Missouri is very important to you. 10% said somewhat important. 7% said that is not important to you. So thank you to everybody who has participated in this. We are going to do another poll here in just a moment, and that has to do with what issues should be our, maybe our top priorities, and we will uh, launch into that in just a moment. Now, if you have any of the issues that you would like to ask our policy experts on, uh, about, you can press star uh, anytime, and that will put you into a queue, and so we can move you up the line and get your question answered here. And you can also, if you are listening online, submit your question online as well. It's been uh, just a tumultuous uh, legislative session, and Brenda, let me kind of on an impromptu uh, basis here, Brenda Talent, our CEO, uh, ask you, we saw a lot in the news about the drama of the personality conflicts, particularly in the state Senate. When it comes to the policy matters that we're dealing with, how does that affect the outlook of getting some of those things across the finish line maybe in 2018? Well, there are super majorities in both the House and the Senate. So what you hope, what I'm hopeful of, is that as we saw on the last day of session in the Senate, uh, a lot of activity had been the subject of filibusters, but on the last day they called the previous question and they moved the bill to harmonize the minimum wage across the state. In in Missouri, the filibuster is a tradition. It's not something where you can shut it down. You can call the previous question and you can move the business of the Senate along. And one can be hopeful that perhaps the leadership of the Senate has now learned that there's a point at which you have to say, enough, we, we have the taxpayer of this state have spoken. Uh, they want policies in place that will help this state grow, and we are going to be responsive to that. So I am hopeful that when we come back into, when the legislature comes back in session in 2018, 
that they will have learned how to govern. And it's something that you, you do have to learn because um, I, I do think that they were taken aback by some of the activities of not only the minority members of of the of the Senate, but also their own membership, where um, there were, in fact, filibusters by people who they would probably would have thought would be aligned with them. So, again, I think experience is a wonderful thing, and we can hope that they've learned from experience. All right, that's Brenda Talent, our CEO. Let's go ahead and open up our final poll of this evening. Uh, and, of course, you can also become a part of the program or part of the call tonight by pressing star in order to start the process to get your question uh, live here on the conference call. Okay, the top issues for 2018. Which area needs our attention most as we turn our attention to what is going to take place in the 2018 session? Here are your choices. Uh, to choose education, press 1. To choose taxes, press 2. To choose health care, press 3. Or to choose transportation as your top issue, press Four. Once again, just press that corresponding question or answer, and you will be participating in that poll. Okay, once again, uh, if you want to be a part, we would love to get your questions as we wrap up this phone call here, this telephone, uh, town, comp, uh, telephone town hall. And let's go ahead and go to uh, another call here, and this is Gary and Jane, and they are calling us from Chesterfield. Gary and Jane, you are on the conference call. Thank you very much. Can you hear me now, or do I need to press star? I think you're you're good to go, Jane. Good. All righty. Um, everyone has talked about the elephant in the room, which is what legislation was left on the table, and Mary started that out at the beginning of the program. Um, obviously, we have Anders' public sector union bill, um, every education bill uh, that can help students, especially after they fully funded the formula and the kids got nothing. Um, but I wonder... Um, if anyone has any thoughts on uh, if there will be a special session, obviously the governor has alluded to that, when it may start and what especially may be on the list of things that will be um, looked at or addressed. Jane, thank you so much for the uh, phone call. I have heard from multiple media outlets that he is considering doing it, and of course that now we're seeing a whole bunch of state lawmakers say they want their issue to be a part of the special session. I'll kind of toss a jump ball here to our uh, policy experts uh, if anybody else wants to jump in and answer that as well. Yeah, well, this is Patrick Ishmael. I, I don't have any special information. I've heard discussions about PDMP, the prescription drug monitoring bill coming up as a special session item, but you know, Mike's exactly right. Everybody thinks that their particular uh, legislation is, is worth having a special session for. And in some cases, that's true. Um, but a special session can be very expensive as well. So um, I don't know if a special session uh, is going to be called or when it might be called or on what topics. Um, I think it's certainly on the table, and I know the governor's talked about it, but um, I, I certainly don't have any special knowledge about uh, what those topics might be. Yeah, the one issue that he, he said that he was likely to call a special session on was the real ID, and then that ended up getting passed, of uh, course, in the last, literally the last hours or so of the legislative session. So if something is called, we just don't know what it's going to be at that point. Uh, we haven't heard anything specifically uh, from, the, uh, from, the, from the governor or not. All right, once again, press star to become... Uh, part of the program here. 
Uh, let's go to, who do we have here? We have Andrew, and he is calling us from Fenton. Andrew, you are now live on the Telephone Town Hall. Thank you for your call. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for uh, your time and for, for doing this call. I wanted to ask, um, so my, my sister asked me, uh, was upset recently that the uh, the soccer stadium had been voted down in St. Louis, and um, I knew kind of that there was a lot of a lot wrong with it from a free market perspective, but I didn't have like a succinct uh, kind of a 101. Here's what was wrong with it. Answer. Uh, I was wondering if you guys had any insight on that. Uh, yeah, and let's go with um, I, I, I we'll have either Patrick Ishmael or Patrick Tui. I just want to clarify one thing: the soccer stadium was not voted down. Publicly funding it with tax money is what was voted down. So, uh, Patrick or Patrick, you all want to jump in on that, or Brenda? Yeah, this is Patrick Ishmael again. I can I can jump in on that. I think one of the, the big concerns was that for you know a state that has wide variety of problems. One of the concerns, I think, was that some money was going to be diverted uh, from a use tax, an earmark, to underwrite this particular stadium. And, and if you look across uh, stadium projects across the country and over the course of the, of the last decade, you know, a few decades, what you really see is not really uh, new economic growth, but a lot of diverted economic growth. And so instead of going to the movies or going to a restaurant, you might go down to the ballpark instead. Now, those are choices that, that you know, you, you can make. But in the case of St. Louis, um, if, if you're really trying to expand economic pie, building a soccer stadium or building a football stadium or, or what have you really isn't your best option. And, and particularly for a state that has lots of problems, I think everyone, everyone realizes that um, diverting money from uh, a use tax toward that particular project, particularly in light of the research that we've seen across the country over the course of many, many years. Um, our, our sense is that there are probably better uses of that money, uh, but you know that's that's ultimately up to the taxpayers of St. Louis. I think they decided uh, to not go that route. Brenda, let me ask you a follow-up question here, and that has to do with um, and that has to do with the way that these issues are discussed. Because in, in the media in St. Louis and then recently in Kansas City in previous years and around the country, it oftentimes gets framed as whether or not we're voting to bring a professional sports team to St. Louis or to another city. But that's, that's really not what's at stake, is it? No, it's really how much the taxpayers are going to fund that activity. Because if we had the market that would attract those teams, they would come here. They would find a way. But um, the, the other aspect of this, and, and I would invite either Patrick to, to jump in too, is I think that our cities look for very visible projects where they can try to claim there's a lot of economic activity being generated. Of course, as, as Patrick discussed, uh, the studies don't bear that out. There is a lot of activity, but it's not resulting in a net gain in economic activity. So I think there's the issue of the, the visibility, the attractiveness of it, and then, of course, we, we get these dire predictions if we're not willing to pony up taxpayer money for these projects. But the bottom line is, if they were sustainable, if, in fact, um, they would be ones that would prosper here, the private sector would find a way to bring them here. And, in fact, we have seen those types of discussions about different sports teams continue because the the people who own those teams are interested in our market. 
All right, that's Brenda Talent, the CEO of the Show Me Institute. We have just closed uh, the poll when it comes to the top issues for 2018, and this is interesting because it was fairly well balanced uh, across the board here. 31% of those of you who voted, and thank you for voting, said education should be our top issue. Uh, 27% said taxes should be our top issue. 23% said health care should be our top issue. And 19% said transportation should be our top issue. Of course, I-70 and the state's highways has been an ongoing debate over over the last several years, and even funding for that put up on a ballot, and voters said no to the tax increase just a couple of years ago um, as well. And by the way, here in just a couple minutes when we wrap up the phone call, you are going to have an opportunity to leave us a voicemail if we didn't get to your question or if you think of something here in the last couple of minutes, and you can leave us a voicemail, and we will have somebody reply back to you, call you, email, whatever you prefer to answer your question. I really appreciate everybody being on uh, being on the telephone uh, town hall this evening. Uh, kind of want to go just around real quick with our policy experts um, and just kind of assess kind of the mood and kind of the, uh, I guess, the optimism or maybe pessimism, but probably optimism for some of the issues and policy matters that we are are paying attention to right now. I want to start with, let's go with uh, Patrick Ishmael. Um, Patrick, what did not make it to the finish line this year that you're kind of optimistic about for 2018 and why? Well, I think that uh, uh, prevailing wage and a lot of the government union reforms, I think we're very close to, to actually becoming law this year. Um, and so uh, I'm very hopeful that next year that they will, you know, be able to be debated and and get their vote. Um, I think they had some debate and they just didn't get their votes, and I think that's unfortunate. It hurts the state in the long run. The other item I think that is going to be a, a large topic for next year is tax policy, and uh, that includes uh, looking at tax incentives, both state and local. That includes the earned income tax credit, or looking at creating one here at the, at the state level. It, it it means taking a look at our tax policy more generally, at our corporate and at our individual income taxes, and saying, you know, can we lower those? And the, the short answer is yes, we can. Um, but I think between uh, the labor issues that I talked about, but also the tax issues, I think really the tax issues are going to be a, a pretty big topic. The governor has had put out a committee that I think they had their first meeting tonight, or public meeting tonight, uh, to try to fix our taxing system between labor and taxes. I think those are going to be uh, big topics for next year, and uh, I'm, I'm very hopeful. All right, that's Patrick Ishmael, Director of Government Accountability. Let's go to the education side of things with Dr. Michael McShane. Uh, Dr. McShane, what do you see as being close but no cigar this year, but still maybe in a better position for 2018? I think course access uh, is definitely something that uh, will be will be back on the docket and hopefully will build off the momentum that it had this year. I think education savings accounts are another real possibility. It was, uh, to continue our earlier sports metaphors, you know, it was something that made it 99 yards down the field. It passed out of the Senate. It passed through all of the committees in the House and just sort of time ran out on legislation. In order to get it passed out of the Senate, there were a series of compromises that were made that ballooned the bill up with things added on to it. So the, the actual core idea of ESAs, I think, has a lot of support. It's more about the sort of legislative wrangling to, to actually make it happen. So I think those are two things that you should definitely be looking for in the, the next 
session, course access, and ESAs. All right, uh, Patrick Tui, Western District uh, Field Manager. Uh, do you see anything that is in a, a really good position for 2018 that we've been working with this year? Well, I agree with Patrick Ishmael. I think tax reform is a uh, is a is a big target in all its various forms, both in uh, local taxing district uh, reform and, and statewide income, corporate and, and individual tax. And, and I wanted to add one thing to the gentleman who called about the uh, stadium in St. Louis. Uh, for those of you who are listening, if you're near a computer, uh, go on to Google Maps and look up the Truman Sports Complex in Jackson County, Missouri. See if you can get some uh, photos from high up in the air. It is two stadiums right next to each other. They share a giant parking lot, and there is almost no economic activity around them. Uh, it is because there was no subsidy given for economic activity around them. People come in, they attend games, and then they go home. Uh, what happens too often in St. Louis and elsewhere is cities lard all this money on giant stadiums and then subsidize all sorts of entertainment districts around them and say, look what we did. It's not economic activity, it's taxpayer investment that's doing it, and we argue that that taxpayer money is better spent elsewhere. All right, as we uh, wrap up here, we'll go to uh, Brenda Talent, CEO of the Show Me Institute. Brenda, any final thoughts? Again, I just want to thank you all for joining us, and I, I remain optimistic that we're going to see a number of these policies we've discussed this evening go across the finish line. But I would urge our listeners, if there are issues that you know at a local level or at a state level that you would want to say to us, hey, have you taken a look at this? Please send us that message at the end of this call. Uh, oftentimes some of the most interesting projects we, we, we tackle are ones that people have, have called us up about because we didn't know that they were going on. We're not just focused on state wide issues. We also focus on local issues within the state of Missouri. And I, of course, would uh, encourage you, if you're on social media, to connect with us uh, at Show Me at Twitter and look up Show Me Institute on Facebook. And of course, check our blog on the website, showmeinstitute.org. Thank you, everybody who has called in and those who have uh, also participated in our polling as well. Um, also, our panelists, uh, Brenda Talent, CEO, Patrick Ishmael, Director of Government Accountability, Mike McShane, Director of Education Policy, Patrick Tuey, excuse me, Western District uh, Field Manager. Uh, once again, my name is Mike Ferguson, also the entire Show Me Institute team who has been working behind the scenes to make this event happen this evening. You can get more information about us and about the Missouri Blueprint, which are our policy recommendations for the state at showmeinstitute.org. And right after this call, you're going to have an opportunity to leave a voicemail if we didn't get a chance to talk about your question. Good night, and thank you, everybody, for being a part of this phone call. <laughs>